As we mentioned last session, there's a specific mitzvah assay to work on your midos. But it's very clear that the mitzvah is not just to have good midos, not just to be a nice guy, but to actually work on your midos, to improve your midos, to increase your kindliness, your control, your lack of anger, and certainly the linchpin of all midos is humility. The center point of all midos, and that which will affect every other mido more than anything else, is humility. And working on humility is something that is central to being an Eved Hashem. But the biggest problem, as we discussed in the last session, was how do you define humility? How do you understand humility? And certainly if you don't recognize what the midah is, you can't work on it. We also mentioned one point of very important, and that is the key distinction between humility and a lack of self-image. If you're an extremely wealthy person and you say you're poor, that's not called humility. If your name is Ramosha Feinstein and you say, I don't know how to learn, that's not humility. Humility is recognizing your strengths, recognizing your talents, and not assuming any credit is due to you. Not taking credit for things that you did not do. And the classic example for me, the muscle that well defines it, is Joe the crane operator. That's a fellow who was operating the crane. The crane is lifting tons and tons of dirt, moving pounds and pounds, incredible huge tons of dirt. But Joe is the little guy inside. He moves the levers. If he says to you, I don't need to work out because all day long I'm lifting heavy loads, you'd say to him, Joe, that's the crane. That dichotomy is the essence of a balanced self-image. I have to recognize that I occupy a body created by Hashem. This body has been gifted with the ability to say words, to do things, to change myself, change others around me, change the upper worlds. This gift that I have called this crane is mighty. So there's much honor due to me? No, I'm the little guy inside. I operate the levers, I tell the arms and legs what to do. At the end of the day, I'm the little guy inside. I recognize my strength, I recognize the abilities that I have, and yet there's no honor due to me. But what I'd like to discuss this session is the next pre- prevalent issue of dealing with ANOVA, and that's actually acquiring it. And let's begin with an interesting expression that the Mesut Sharm says that you might find a bit provocative. Mesut Sharm in Perch of Gimel says, It is the nature of man's heart to be proud and overbearing. Again, it's the nature of man's heart to be proud and overbearing. And therefore, he says, Therefore, it's very difficult for him to uproot this natural sense. Now, if we think about that line, it might be curious. Number one, is that true? The nature of man's heart is to be proud and overbearing, to be arrogant, to be a Balgaiva? I don't know if it's true. How many people do you know you could really say are arrogant? How many people do you know who you could call bombastic? Okay, there's some individuals, certain people come to mind, but is that the nature of man's heart? And even more than that, if it's true, why is it true? And what can we do about it? And to work on this, <clears throat> to focus on this, I'd like to better understand arrogance and then the flip side, humility. Because you see, those two midos are opposite sides of the same coin. Arrogance and humility are the exact mirror images, and when you understand one, you understand the other, 
And when you understand how to work on one, you understand how to work on the other. So let's begin with the meter called arrogance, and let's see if we can better understand what it is and where it comes from and how a person can eliminate it from their essence. And to do that, let's begin with a very interesting medrash. When Moshe Menu and Arna Cohen showed up at Paro's palace, it was not just a regular day in Paro's kingdom. It was the day that he was anointed emperor over all of the other kings of the universe. It was a tremendous day of honor and accord for him. It was a day where all the other kings brought various presents, they brought crowns, and it was a huge coronation process. And in the center of this huge coronation process shows these two Zakanim. Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron Cohen were phenomenal human beings, not just spiritually, their physical dimensions. They were tall, majestic, and there was an aura about them. But here's the point. They did not belong in Paro's court. You see, you didn't just show up to Paro's palace and say, Hi, I'm here. You had to be invited. The guards had to let you in. But no one invited Moshe and Aaron into the palace. And Moshe and Aaron show up, and there they are, majestic, tall, powerful, with an aura about them that's difficult to imagine and difficult to describe. And at which point some of the messengers of Paro say, Your Majesty, there are two older gentlemen here to see you. Says Paro, well, what presents have they brought? They brought no presents. Well, make them wait. Well, it wasn't very long that they waited, but Moshe and Aaron come in front of Paro, and they say, let the Jewish people go. Who sent you? Hashem. Who's this Hashem? Hashem is the creator of the heavens and earth. Never heard of this God. Uh, how old is this God? Uh, how, many, uh, how many cities has he conquered? How long has he reigned? Says Moshe to Paro. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and made the sun, the moon, and all that's contained in the cosmos. He made you, and he made the Nile. All that exists is by his words. At which point Paro stands up and says, Liar! I made the Nile, and I made myself. And that's the Medrash. Now the problem is that Paro was a sane, rational man. And he's not the only person in the world who made himself into a god. The Medrash tells us there were four human beings who made themselves into gods, and they actually believed it. Paro was not feigning Paro was not pretending. Paro was not putting on shows. He actually believed that he made the Nile and he was responsible for his own creation. Remember, from the time that Yaakov Avinu gave the original Paro the bracha, every time Paro went to the Nile, the Nile rose to greet him. And apparently, with all the goings-on and etc., Paro accepted the fact that he created the Nile, he made himself, he was God. Now, the problem is, it sounds a bit strange, because you can sell a bill of goods to other people, you can tell me you're powerful, you can tell me you're rich, you can tell me you're famous, but you can't tell me you made denial, you can't tell me you made yourself. And let's focus on this for a minute, because again, he's not the only human being who ever did this. In the first century, there was an emperor, Caligula, and he was outraged at the Jews, because they were the only people in the entire Roman Empire who refused to put his statue in their temple. And there was a lot of trouble with the ruling emperor Caligua, and the Chachamim sent messengers to try to appease him and try to explain to him that they're really friendly with his monarchy. 
in any case, the delegation of Jews enter and say, Your Majesty, we're here to wish peace upon you. Says Caligia, enemies of the gods, what are you doing here? Please, Your Majesty, we're not enemies at all. Just this year, the Jews have brought three sacrifices in the emperor's honor in our temple, says Caligia, exactly. You brought three sacrifices in your temple, but not one of them was to me. You brought sacrifices, but not to me. Now again, here we have a situation where a fellow is quite serious and quite delusional, and the question is, how could it be? How do we understand a sane, rational person saying such words and expressing such sentiments? And I believe that once we understand the media of arrogance and how it functions, we'll better understand how this happens. So let's begin. What is a media of arrogance? Now most people can identify an arrogant person. He's bombastic, he brags, he's a show-off in the limelight. But what is the media of arrogance? So Mesut Sharm in Perkit Alf defines for us, Shada machshiv atmo ba'atmo. He feels internally that he's choshev. He feels internally, ki lo na'a to me is worthy praise. I am important, I'm significant, I'm weighty, I'm mighty, I'm choshev and I'm worthy of praise. That sense that I am choshev and I am worthy of praise is arrogance, is gaiva. But here's the question, where does it come from? That sense, I'm important, I'm weighty, I'm mighty, I'm significant. What causes it? You see, every media that you're going to work on has a source, and once you're able to source it, you're much better able to work on it. But interestingly enough, the media of arrogance is unique amongst all the midos. Every other media, every other character trait that you're going to work on has a parallel in the animal kingdom. So, for instance, anger, laziness, various drives, appetites, taiva, all of these midos have a parallel in the animal kingdom because they come from the Nefesh Bahami. Remember, I'm created of two parts. Part of me is a pure Neshama Chilak Kimimal. Part of me is a Nefesh Bahami, an animal soul. If you'd like to trace all of the Midos, you can go into the animal kingdom and you could see the manifestation of that Midah, of that character trait in the animal kingdom. So, for instance, when a bear is attacked, you see ferocious anger. Rawr! That is kas. The human being has a nefesh bahami, an animal soul. <clears throat> Within the animal soul is anger. That anger increases or decreases. But again, if you'd like to see it in its purest form, you go into the animal kingdom and you'll see kas, anger, in the bear, in various animals. If you'd like to see alacrity, zrizus, you ever hear the expression as busy as a bee? Moving, 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 ants, move, 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 move. There's a zrizus, there's a natural alacrity in the ant. If you'd like to see Atlas, study the male lion. The male African lion is the most lazy, almost depressing thing you've ever seen. It lies in the sun 20 hours a day sleeping. It moves, and you can see pictures of the slow, sluggish movements until the pride is attacked, then it goes into motion with tremendous resus. Once the danger passes, it goes back to its heavy, sluggish, lazy nature. 
the nature of the lion is atzlus, it's a laziness, but there's a tremendous change in a time of danger, the zrizas come forward, but those are midos that you can find in the animal kingdom. And again, if you look through all of the midos, you can find them in the animal kingdom with one exception. You will not find gaiva, you will not find arrogance in the animal kingdom. Gaiva is a sense of superiority, a sense of lording it over you. I'm above you, I'm better than you, I am superior to you, I am worthy of honor and praise. That you will not find in the animal kingdom. And the Chovos of Ovos explains to us why, because it's a mida mimidos ha-nefesh. It does not come from the nefesh of Bahami. It actually comes from the other part of the human being, and it comes from the seichel, it comes from the neshama of the human being. And if you'd like to understand what it is, let's focus on one simple reality. When I was a kid, I remember there was a powdered milk that they used to advertise that their milk was better than the other powdered milk because their milk comes from contented cows. That's what it brag On the package you could see a cow, our milk comes from contented cows. Now, it is rather true that a cow is content. It doesn't take much for a cow to be content. You put the cow in a nice field of grass, give the cow a female cow, maybe you give it a barn and some water, and the cow is content. It'll stand there all day long, chomping. At night, it'll go into the barn, and it is content. But ironically, you will not find man ever content. It is a rather strange phenomenon that man is always moving, always changing, never satisfied. And one of the most fundamental natures of the human being is a need for more. May the islo mana rosem asayim. If a person has a hundred, he needs two hundred. There's an inborn nature in man. If he has a million dollars, he's got to make five million dollars. All I got to do is make a million bucks, a million bucks. And he finally gets the million dollars. Now I need more. Why do you need more? Take it easy. Kick back. It's the nature of the human being. And the minute he acquires some, he needs more. And it's not just money. It's any situation, any status, whatever the human being has, he wants more. If he's a businessman, he has to expand his business. If he's an author, he's got to write the next bestseller. If he's an executive, he has to climb the executive ladder. He has to climb the corporate ladder. Why can't you be satisfied? You're a vice president. You make a fine salary. It's not enough. He's got to have more. The politician needs to go from the local level to the state level. The child needs to be like the big boy. The human being always aspires for more. And here's the question, why? And why is it that the human being is never content, never satisfied? And the Orcha Sadiqim explains to us that if you'd like to see the neshama of a human being, just look at this Messias. He explains this is a proof to the neshama coming from above. Why is it that man always aspires for more? Why can't he be satisfied? Because Hashem gave us a neshama that desires to be great, that desires greatness, that desires ever to increase, ever to expand. And unfortunately, it's typically channeled into very, very small areas. But when a person focuses his energy on money, he needs more money, honor, more honor, and political power, more political power. But whatever he has is never enough because within him is this desire to grow, this desire to expand. He'll never be content 
because he was created for greatness, for ever-expanding greatness, and that is the neshama of a human being within a person wishing for more, wanting for more. But here's the very interesting part. There are two parts to me, part neshama, part nevishah bahami. You see, the body is not just a clump of clay. It's not just an innate object. <clears throat> Within the animal are all the animal instincts, and in the Nevesheh Bahami of the human being are all the drives and instincts, and the I whom speaking to you am comprised of both parts. There's a part of me that only wants to do what's right, what's good, what's proper, and there's a part of me that couldn't care less. There's a part of me that reaches for the stars and wants to climb and become ever greater, and there's a part of me that's just innate, natural instincts, hungers, appetites, and doesn't care. But the I whom speaking to you made up of both, I am at the same time brilliant, insightful in thinking, and the other time selfish, bratty, self-centered, because there are two diverse parts of me. And if you think about the human being, the first thing you should realize is that we are a terrible mismatch. These two parts of me come from totally different ends of the universe, have totally different interests, and are pulling in totally different ways. One part of me is pulling for the sky, and one part of me is very content to live in the gutter. But those two voices speak within me. And the Mesut Sharm gives us a mushal that defines the human being. He says, imagine there's this princess, a young princess. She's brought up in the palace. Every delicacy, every luxury, sleeping on satin and silk, eating the most finest foods. And one day, this little girl, the princess, runs away. She runs away, and she escapes to the woods, and she runs, and she runs, and she runs. And she finds herself in the woods. And without her ability to find a way home, she begins living in the woods. She lives, she grows older and older, and she's finally 18, and finally she's chasing around somewhere in the woods, and she sees the shack. Shack, she goes in, and sees no one's there, eats the food, falls asleep. When she opens her eyes again, there's this ruffian man, and this woodsman who's standing over her, the woodsman sees the beautiful princess who's a little bit <clears throat> worn and torn, but he's kind, and he <clears throat> brings the food to eat. And after a while, they become friendly, friendlier, friendlier. The princess realizes she's never going to make it home anyway. In any case, the princess and the peasant get married. And he's a very kind man. Granted, he's a woodsman. Granted, he's a peasant. But he's kind, and he does everything to make her happy. He makes the finest beads that he can for a necklace for her, and he brings her the handcrafted beads. And as he hands it to her, she looks at it and she says, Oy. She remembers the pearl necklaces she used to wear as a little girl. He brings her food. He cooks her a meal. For him, a delicacy. For her, she remembers the amazingly delicious food she used to eat. Anything that the peasant brings to her is, has no value, has no meaning, because she was brought up in finery, she was brought up in the palace. Anything the peasant brings means nothing to her. Explains Mrs. Lasharm, that match, that terrible mismatch, is us. I am made of two distinct parts. There's a part of me that comes from when, way, way up there under Hashem's throne of glory. That part of me only wants to do what's right, what's noble, what's proper. And there's another half of me. The other half of me is the animal soul within me, and this mismatch is how I live my life. And whatever the behemoth brings to the neshama, money, gold, silver, 
My neshama says, what are you bringing me? This is nothing. But I made millions of dollars. Look what I brought you. But within me there's an emptiness. Within me there's a sense of so what? No, but come on. This is a Tesla. I mean, this is incredible. Look at the vehicle. Come on, do me a favor. What does it mean? Do you ever notice that the human being is never happy? But it's not just his need to grow and not just a need to be content. You could spend your life pursuing anything but meaning and purpose, and I guarantee you will be unhappy. But you know why you'll be unhappy? Because you're not feeding a very real need within you. Within me is a need for real growth, real accomplishment, to serve Hashem, to grow, to learn, to daven, to do things for other people, to change myself, change the world I live in. If I meet that need, I grow, I accomplish, and is an inner joy. But if I live my life busy in this world, doing everything else but that, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, and there's an emptiness within me, there's a hunger within me. If you'd like to understand this, I remember reading a novel many years ago as a young man. It was a story of a young black fellow who grew up in the South. But he describes poverty. Poverty meant he didn't know what it meant not to go hungry. He would go to sleep at night hungry, and wake up in the morning hungry. Hunger was just a fact of life. One morning on the way to school, he sees the neighbor had left open the, the spigot of the hose, so he opens the spigot full blast, puts the garden hose in his mouth, and drinks and drinks and drinks, fills his belly to its full. And the hunger pangs went away. His stomach was filled, and as a result, he wasn't hungry. And his stomach was filled, he didn't have the hunger pangs, until 20 minutes later when the water passed, and then the hunger pangs came back more intensely than they had been there before. That is the way most people run their lives. They run from this to that, that to that, and pursuing money and honor and pleasures and whatever it may be, and there's an ever-increasing hunger within them. But why? I got it all. I'm famous. I'm rich. I got the corner office. I own the company. I have made it. Why am I so empty? I'm so empty because I'm hungry and I'm trying to fill my hunger with water. When you try to fill the need for growth with anything but that, there's an emptiness inside. You don't wake up until 35 or 40, but you put your head down on a pillow at night and you say, what am I here for? What am I accomplishing? What am I, what am I doing? I'm making money. I'm rich. I'm famous. Come on, look at it. Life is great. So why do I feel so empty inside? I feel so empty inside because of the voice within me that says, this is not what I was put here for. This is not what I was put here for. This is not what life is about. And that voice within me is part of me. You could run from the voice, you could hide from the voice, but it's ever there. And unless you learn to meet that voice, you're not going to be satisfied, you're not going to be happy. But that tension is there, and that tension is a part of the human being. Sometimes a person can use that powerful voice within him to grow and accomplish, but sometimes if he doesn't answer it, a person could subvert it and create a tremendous amount of self-inflicted damage. Let me explain to you what I mean. Sears Roebuck and company introduced good, better, and best to the world. The old Sears Roebuck Roebuck catalog, you'd say a big, thick catalog, and they had three quality of product. Good, better, and best. Good meant this was a good product. Fine, good quality. Better meant it was even better. A little more expensive, but a better quality. And best was the top quality. 
Now, that is a very interesting way to sell various products, but here's an interesting observation. Why is it that the boy in class is never satisfied to be better? Imagine I'm a better boy. I should be very happy. Imagine I'm an athlete. I should be a better athlete. It should be great. And why is it that the Balgaiver particularly will never be satisfied with better? Imagine I have $10 million. That's pretty good. But the minute I see somebody with more, it destroys me. Why is it that I'm somewhat well-known, the minute I find someone more famous, it kills me? And why is it the minute that I find someone more powerful or someone with more honor, whatever it may be, it kills me? And I'd like to share with you an interesting observation. And by definition, gaiva is a need for extreme greatness. It's a need for greatness. It's an inner need for expansion. But I'd like you to understand why it's there. It's there because that's my neshama. And my neshama crying out, I'm not satisfied with what you're presenting to me. Now I fool myself and I say what I need is more of it. A million dollars isn't enough, I need 10 million. 10 million isn't enough, I need 100 million. This position of honor isn't enough, I need more positions of honor. I need more accolades, I need more, I need more, I need more. What you're looking at is an unfulfilled soul. But if you'd like to understand Paro, I think it's really quite simple. You see, within Paro, there was a neshama like any other human being had a neshama. And within Paro, that neshama said, what are you doing? Okay, you're a king, but big deal. What are you accomplishing? What am I accomplishing? Look what I'm accomplishing. I'm great. No, you're not. You're nobody or nothing. Yes, I am. Look how great I am. You're a nobody. You're not doing anything. But I am great. I am great. There was an inner tension that flashed all day long. And no matter how much self-aggrandizement he did, no matter how pompous he became, there was an inner voice that said, but that's nothing. You see, it's not your aunt. It's not that bothersome teacher. It's your neshama within you that says, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? You're not doing anything. You and I have limits to how bombastic we can be. Paro had none. And when he acquired wealth, it wasn't enough. He needed more of it. And when he acquired power, it wasn't enough because within him was that emptiness. Within him was that hunger. It was a hunger for real growth, but he subverted it to everything else but and he became bigger and bigger, more powerful, more important, more bombastic and more pompous, because it was this ever-needing, ever-increasing need for greatness that he was subverting into what he was trying to become. And if you'd like to see the extreme of Gaiva, you look at a man who stands up and says, I created the Nile and I made myself. But how could he think such a delusional thought? The answer is because that's when his neshama deals, demands from him. You see, my neshama knows that I was created for infinite greatness. My neshama knows that anything you're going to bring to me is nothing. <clears throat> Peasant, you're bringing me money, you're bringing me honor. I'm not satisfied with that. I come from under Hashem's throne of glory. I know real greatness. And what you're bringing me is trinkets. It's not enough. And no matter how much you bring, it's not enough. No matter how much more you bring, it's not enough. There's an insatiable hunger. And the more Paro became important and mighty and significant, the more he needed, the more hungry he became, the bigger he became, the more hungry he was. And in this endless cycle, he self-inflated to the point, I created an Nile and I made myself. And if it sounds delusional, it's not delusional at all. It's the extreme. Gaiva in the extreme stems from 
and the neshama, and the reason why it can expand to such extent is because that's the greatness of neshama, and nothing other than true greatness will ever satisfy the neshama. Now, that being said, where does it leave us? Number one, how do I work on this thing called gaiva, or humility? And number two, how do we understand that line that the Masil Sharm said? So let's begin with the following. Here's an observation. The Balgaiva is a very interesting human being. The Balgaiva is the person who's very, very important. I'm mighty. I'm weighty. I'm significant. I'm worthy of honor and praise. Ha <laughs> ha, look at me. Here's an interesting phenomenon. Do you ever notice that the Balgaiva is desperate for your approval? Now, wait, I understand this. Mr. Balgaiva, you are very important, very weighty, very mighty, and I'm not, right? You're big and I'm little, right? So why are you so desperate for my approval? Why do you need me and everyone else's notice and approval and applause? Why is it that the arrogant buffoon is so hungry for constant approval? And this is the great secret. And the great secret is because the Balgaiva is constantly puffing, 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 trying desperately to inflate that ego that he knows is false. And the reason why he needs constant accolades and constant praise and everyone's attention is because he knows it's false and he needs to constantly puff it up because he's in an extreme sense of discomfort. Because that sense of, I'm great, I'm mighty, I'm superior, is false and he knows it. Now again, it's his neshama screaming out, I should be important. I should be great. But he's meeting it with everything but greatness. He's meeting it with honor and money and foolishness of this world. And because of that, it's false. And because of that, he's empty. And the reason he needs your constant approval is because he's puffing, 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 desperately trying to keep that big, big ego inflated when he knows it's false and he's in desperate, desperate strait. And this is one of the first things to understand if you'd like to understand Gaiva and how to work on it. Number one, Gaiva is unmet godless Adam. It's the real greatness of the human, the real aspirations for greatness, but it's subverted and misconstrued into a sense of, I'm important, I'm weighty, I'm mighty, I'm big, puff, puff, puff. And the more he puffs, the more false he knows it is, the more he needs constant accolades, constant approval, and he is the most unhappy person in the world. Once you understand that, then you understand the antidote to arrogance. As the Chavos of Others explains to us, the antidote to arrogance is simply something called reality. Reality. The simple reality that I am a human being. What do you mean? I'm mighty. I'm weighty. I'm significant. You're Mr. Weighty, mighty, significant human being. What happens if you get hit by a car? Uh, me, the big, mighty, strong me, uh... Not so good. Oh, more than that. Kochliar gives us a muscle. He says, I want you to imagine the following. Imagine that Hashem created a man made of paper. Imagine Hashem took a two-dimension paper man, just a piece of paper, and out of this piece of paper, Hashem drew a man, and you have a two-dimensional man made of paper. A paper man. Okay. And he's, Hashem blew into him, and this paper man is alive. Now this paper man comes amongst us, and here we are, regular human beings. And he says, oh, you're very careful, 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 careful. I might rip. Wait, you might cut me. Wait, 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 what? That cigarette? That's a, put that away, you're crazy. You, I can burn up. I can. 
the paper man would have a tough time being arrogant because he's made of paper. We human beings are made of flesh, and he's made of paper. It'd be very hard for him to have a sense of arrogance. Explains the Koch don't you get it? We're made of paper. What happens when I rub my arm against the wall without realizing and there's a nail sticking out and the blood gushes out? I used to ride my bike. Harriman is near to my home. I would ride for exercise. And I would do something that wasn't too bright. I would put earphones in. I would be listening to either Shurim or things, whatever. In any case, I'm riding my bike, and I'm riding very intensely, very focused. And I did something very, very dumb. I pulled left, and I didn't look. There was a truck. The truck hit me. Bike, truck, uh uh-uh, not so good. I went flying up in the air, and I landed on the concrete. Big, powerful, mighty me. Chaz de Hashem, I'm alive to tell the tale. But it's not so simple. Human beings are not mighty. Human beings are not powerful. Human beings suffer many, many diseases and many, many infirmities. And the big, powerful me is hit by a truck, hit by a car, hit by a bullet, hit by a crane, and the big, powerful, mighty me isn't. But you see, that's called reality. You see, the sense that I'm weighty, I'm mighty, I'm superior, is based on a delusional state. And that delusional state is, I will live forever, I'm invincible, I'm all-powerful. And it's true, you may feel that way when you're 18. But if you've lived through corona, or you've lived through other people, Rahman getting cancer, or any of the untold amount of diseases and illness and situations, you quickly realize that I am made of flesh and blood. I am but a mortal human being, I'm not mighty, I'm not weighty, I'm not superior, I am a boss of a dumb. And now we can understand what humility is. Explains Ms. Sharm, humility is a simple recognition. Ain at the of a covered ruin low. Praise and honor are not due to me. Kol surely, surely not lording it, not being above anyone else. I may have gifts. I may have talents. Talent on loan from God. Gifts temporarily given to me. And with those gifts, I can accomplish tremendous things. I can do... Tre- but how much honor is due to me? I'm Joe the crane operator. I'm the little guy inside. I'm not weighty. I'm not mighty. Gaiva is a sense of delusion. It's a sense of falseness. It's a sense of I'm weighty. I'm mighty. I'm superior. I'm above. When I take credit for Hashem's work, I can feel that way. Look, I have a great voice. I sing and people come running to hear me sing. So I'm great, right? Did I create the vocal cords? Do I know how to stretch the larynx? And do I even know how to produce a brain or an organ? But more than that, my voice is going to leave me. Let's assume I have a beautiful voice. How long does it last? Till you're 50, 60, then it's gone. I'm powerful, I'm young, I'm strong. Yeah, I go to the old age home. And you'll see powerful young people get older, not so powerful. And what you quickly realize is, I am a nivra, I am a creation. Explains the Chavos of Avos, the cure to arrogance is a simple thing called reality. Recognizing that I am a human being. Recognizing that what happens when I fast on Yom Kippur is the big, powerful me is very weak and frail. And when I get sick, the mighty me isn't so mighty. And I'd like to share with you a few Musr exercises if you would like to really grow in humility. Here's a very simple one. Try this one on me. In the middle of February, go out wearing just a T-shirt. Go out for 10 minutes. You know, let's assume it's 20 degrees outside. And go out in a T-shirt 
and stand outside for let's say 10 20 minutes superior me i'm not so superior i'm not so mighty i'm a weak vulnerable human being would you like another one here's another simple muscle exercise go to a swimming pool and i want you to take a deep breath dive in and hold your breath underwater for 10 minutes 10 minutes now unless you're a trained athlete when after about 60 seconds or 90 seconds at most, you're going to be gasping for air. The great, mighty, powerful me cannot exist without constantly breathing. Without constantly... If I go for a minute and a half without breathing, the great, mighty, powerful me isn't. But do you understand why it cures Gaiva? Because Gaiva is Sheker. It's a lie. It's assuming the current state will last forever. It's assuming credit for Hashem's attributes. It's pretending that I am the creator. And when I understand that all of Gaiva is based on one thing, based on Sheker, then I can understand how it is to work on it. And I'd like to share with you one more interesting manifestation of this tension within the human being. As I mentioned, all Gaiva, as the Chavz of explains to us, comes from that inner sense. It comes from that sense of a need for godless, a need for greatness, and that need is either met properly or it's met improperly. But you see, that need is a drive within the human. Hashem created us to grow and accomplish, to become really great. And either I use that to become great, to work on my midos, to work on my davening, to be a better person, or I feel that need, but I'm not satisfied, and I inflate, and I inflate, I inflate. But you see, sometimes Gaiva works the other way as well. I don't know if it's true or not, but Napoleon was supposedly suffered from the Napoleonic complex. What is a Napoleon complex? It's an inferiority complex. Napoleon supposedly was five foot two, and there are those who say, or at least conventional wisdom says, that he overcompensated his short height by seeking power, war, and conquest because he had this inner sense of unmet need. I'd like to share with you that whether it's true for Napoleon or not, it's something that I saw on a regular basis. As a Rebbe in high school, I would deal with fellows who come to me different issues, and it didn't happen exactly like this, but it's not that far off. Monday night, a guy comes to me, this guy is talented, smart, good in learning, very, very put-together guy, excellent ball player. He's got all the milers, everything. And he says to me, Rabbi, I don't know what it is, I just don't feel good about myself. I just don't feel adequate. I feel other people are so much better and so much more adequate. Help, help me, help me. Okay, so I try to tell him, you have to be fair to yourself. <clears throat> you know, you have a lot of talent, you have a lot of abilities. Obviously, your thinking <clears throat> is, is off, and you have to really think positively. Okay, Wednesday night, another guy comes to me. This guy is a regular guy, not particularly talented, not particularly smart, nothing really going for him. <clears throat> Rabbi, you got to help me. I, I have a sense that I'm just... I'm much better than everybody. I'm much smarter than everybody. I just everything I do is so much better. And I want to say, wait a minute, guys, can we just like swap brains? The super talented guy who was here Monday feels like a loser, and the regular guy Wednesday feels like he's so superior. What's pshat? And the answer is both of them are addressing this tension, this voice inside. Within both of them is his voice, so I need to be greater, I need to grow, I need to accomplish. The right answer to that voice is to do exactly that to learn, to daven, to grow, to do chesed, to work on my midos, to become eternally great. But that is a very difficult course to follow. 
typically what happens is one or the other, either a person inflates, what do you mean I'm not great? I am great. You know, great I am. I'm smart. I'm clever. Look how handsome I am. Look how rich I am. I am great. Or the opposite. The voice inside says, you're not great. You're not doing anything. And he says, you're right. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm inferior. The inferiority complex comes from the same voice that creates the gaiva. You see, gaiva and inferiority complex are exactly that, the opposite sides of the coin. The voice inside me says, why aren't you growing? Why aren't you accomplishing? Why aren't you doing world-changing events? And the right answer is, you're right, let's get to work. But unfortunately, that's not the typical answer. And that voice within me says, why aren't you doing great things? Typically, the person says one or the other. Either, I am great, look what I'm doing, and he inflates, becomes bombastic, becomes a balgaiva, or, you're right, I'm not great, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, and he becomes a damaged self-image. Both of those are answering the same voice, and both of them are answering the unmet godless Sa'adam. I think this Chazal shares with us a very penetrating, eye-opening concept. Para was a rational, sane person. And he said to Moshe, he stood up and he said, I created the Nile, I made myself, he meant it. And he, how could a person be so delusional? Because within all of us is a need to be great. But anything in this world of greatness pales in comparison to the greatness for which we were created. We were created for eternal greatness. We were created to create upper worlds. We were created for greatness well beyond any money or fame or fortune or anything that you could bring to us in the world. It's the peasant married to the princess. The peasant can bring anything. He can bring money. He can bring... It means nothing. The princess was brought up on satin and silk. My neshama aspires to ever greater. Paro was in a position where he could really expand. And when the voice inside him says, you're not great, you're not doing it. What do you mean I'm not great? You know how great I am? You know how big I am? And he could inflate and inflate and inflate until he could feel like a god. How could he be delusional? It's not delusional. That's his neshama crying out, you should be eternally great. You should be as great, almost, almost like you're creating the image of Hashem which, by the way, we all are. And my neshama knows it. And my neshama demands it. Kalugia could say the words, you haven't brought any sacrifices to me. You're an enemy of the gods. Because he could believe that, because when a person is allowed full, full expansion, and that's what that voice inside him demands. As the Chovah Zavos explains to us, the root of all arrogance stems from the unmet godless Adam. It's a midas anefesh. You'll find all of the character traits in the animal kingdom. You'll find anger. You'll find jealousy even. You'll certainly find laziness. You will not find gaiva. Arrogance is a sense of superiority, a sense of lording over, a sense of I'm bigger, I'm better. That comes from one source. That comes from the neshama. And the neshama within me demands, demands growth. That's why the human being is never content. That's why when the human being gets into money, never is money enough. When he gets into honor, there's never enough honor. No matter what he has, he needs more, he needs more. As the Orchah Sadiqim explained to us, that is the human being, that's the neshama within a person. The neshama needs more, the animal is content. Elsie the cow sleeping in the field is content. The human being can never be content because I have a neshama that aspires for more. The problem is I either meet that desire properly or I damage myself. If I meet that desire properly, I grow, I accomplish, I set real powerful goals, and I grow as a human being. I learn, I daven, I do chesed, I change the essence of me, and for eternity I make myself into someone great. But if I don't meet the voice that way, there's an ever sense of emptiness within me. And most people spend their life trying to fill that emptiness with trinkets and toys, 
and running from distraction to distraction, but it's like drinking when you're hungry. You drink and you drink and for a little while fills you. You no longer feel the hunger pangs until the water passes and you're more hungry than you were before. Unless you learn to fill that voice with real meaning, with real token, with real purpose, you're going to be ever empty. And when a person is empty, he has one or two choices that he responds with. Either he says, what do you mean I'm nobody? What do you mean I'm not? I am. Look how great I am. Look how important. Do you know who I am? Do you know how smart I am? Do you know how clever I am? Or the opposite, he says, you're right, I'm not great, I'm nobody, I'm nothing. And both of those opposite sides of the coins are the answer to the same voice. The wrong answer, either self-inflation or self-deflation, the right answer is to grow and accomplish. When you understand this, you're able to understand how to work on the Midah. The Midah of Gaiva and its counterpart, the Midah of Anova, are worked on most powerfully, as the Chavaz of Olves explained to us, by recognizing one simple reality. I am a human being. I'm not almighty. I'm not all-powerful. And that's a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's my creator. I am but a nivra. I am a creation. A small human being, a paper man. I cut my skin and my blood rushes out. One lone microbe and I'm toast. A car, a truck, and it's all over. I'm not weighty. I'm not mighty. So you mean I'm nobody? I'm nothing? Uh-uh. I was created in the image of Hashem. I can do tremendous things. I can change this world and change people around me. But that's the crane that I operate. I'm Joe the crane operator, the little guy inside. And when I realize that, I recognize my potential, recognize what I could do, and I recognize I am but the little guy inside. When I understand the danger of Gaiva, I understand why the Mesut Sharm says, Teva Adam It's natural for a person, unless you learn to work on this, to become bombastic and self-inflated. But why? 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 Because that's my neshama within me. And either a person grows and meets that neshama properly, or he becomes a Balgaiva, or the opposite, but address it he must. When you understand this, you're able to work on the meter, and you understand this, you're able to grow, and when you understand this, you're able to really accomplish what you're put on the planet to do.